millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Game Day Preview Pod with me, Sam Matterface. This week on this glistening bastion of Premier League wisdom, the battle for mid-table mediocrity hots up as Arsenal take their flimsy defence to Old Trafford, certain of a confidence-boosting clean sheet against Manchester United, who have worries about their dear leader. Chelsea travel to Brighton, having turned from being the club that everyone loved to hate to the club everybody just loves. We'll be gushing over Frank's foals, even though they sometimes fail. Plus, I'll have to get a little tweet off my chest from the summer. I got pilloried by the Spurs fans and we need to discuss it. At least their home form is okay. But could Southampton's Ralph wreck that? Every Premier League game preview to ensure you've got more up your sleeve than a magician at a kid's birthday party. It's the Game Day Preview Pod from TalkSport. This is Game Day Premier League Preview Show. Yes, hello. And we've gone a little bit Manchester United heavy today, haven't we? Uh, we've got a man who won two Premier League titles, an FA Cup, a League Cup, a Charity Shield. He was also part of the England team that got to the semi-finals of the World Cup in 1990. What a CV, Paul Parker. Oh, hold on a second. It does say he was a right back down here. Oh. OK, that bit's a little bit uninspiring in today's world, <laughs> but I'm going to grab on the rest of it. And the only problem is I can't go and get any more to add to that CV. <laughs> it is a fantastic CV. You're basically a, a 1990s Jamie Vardy, aren't you, really? I mean, OK, maybe overplaying it a little bit, but that's the kind of jump that you made. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a big jump. I mean, you you think about it in today's football, I jumped straight into the Queen's Park Rangers first team and then within a season, I was in the England squad and then 18 months later, I was playing in the World Cup semi-final in Italy. So it was a big jump. I was playing with big names, against big names, and I was still very quiet because there were some big personalities there. <laughs> uh, big personalities here as well, and also making a massive jump. Uh, it is TalkSport South Coast correspondent who just about survived Hampshire Police's biggest operation to live to tell the tale, Alex Crook. The last time I saw you, an hour after the Portsmouth-Southampton game, you were very stressed. Are you OK now? I'm OK now. Yeah, I've got to say, that game did leave me with a headache. I don't know if it was the... The, the workload or, or, or just the, the, the atmosphere inside the stadium. But it was, it was very enjoyable, much more enjoyable than the game that Paul and I had to sit through at the London Stadium on Sunday when basically we spent most of the 90 minutes looking at each other and just shaking our heads at how poor Manchester United were. OK, we'll get to Manchester United and Arsenal very shortly. But first, the best coach in the country against Jurgen Klopp. Toffee looking for Moussa inside the area. Moussa! 2-0! Sheffield United! Fantastic finish! Lise Moussa opens his account for Sheffield United. Van Dijk onto Marley inside the area. Into the top corner of the net and Sadio Marley gets Liverpool back on terms. It's a crossing from Bulldog. The heads go up! Oliver McBurney! Equalises for Sheffield United! Perfect substitution, sharp help set play up, Bulldogs cross onto the head of Oliver McBurney and he gets his first Premier League goal to level it up at Bramall Lane.
It's a game day exclusive on TalkSport from lunchtime on Saturday. I'll be there with Reshmin Chowdhury and Stuart Pearce around the rest of the world. It will be available to you on Premier League Live. Um, Chris Wilder had a chat with him this week. Um, he's all about meticulous preparation and making sure that every single point counts. He's still beating himself up about the fact that they lost that game against Southampton because he thinks you know they may well end up staying up by just one point. Are they going to get any points from Liverpool? Can you make any case at all, Paul, for them getting anything again out of this game? I think we have to look at it realistically. And you're not, everyone's going to say, no, Liverpool have gone into every single game. You've No one's had that belief they're going to get beat. They just don't look like they can be beaten at this moment in time. But there's something about Sheffield United. We all know they're going to have a go. And they have got players and you can't underestimate them at all. Some very good individual players as well. But the one thing is they are... They're very unified as a team and they've got a manager who I met quite a few years ago when I was um, doing the Conference League and I met him on a few occasions when he was managing Halifax Town and there was definitely something about him then and he's gone on from strength to strength and every job he's gone to, he has kind of lifted them in a manner which you say to yourself, he can only go further in the game. He's, he's really impressive as a character. He's brilliant at unifying people. He's got this fantastic away record mm. as well. And I don't know, Liverpool weren't perfect on Sunday against Chelsea in the Premier League. I mean, is there any chinks in that Jurgen Klopp armour? I was going to mention the away record, actually. They might have more of a chance if it was at Anfield because they're unbeaten on their travels since January. I think only Wigan Wanderers in all four divisions of English football have got a better record uh, away from home. Chinks in the armour? I think there are chinks in the armour. It seems bizarre when you look at your team, you've won six out of six. They've lost one game since the start of last season. I still don't think they're as defensively watertight as they were last season when, of course, they came so close to winning the title. Do Sheffield United have the players to punish that? Maybe not. It took them 73 minutes to get a shot against Everton. Really, Sheffield United's strength is at the back. I think John Egan has been the unsung hero of the season so far. I love the two full-backs and, of course, the way the centre-halves go on these overlapping runs. But I'm just not convinced Sheffield United have quite got the firepower to outscore Liverpool, which is what they're going to have to do. Talk to me about Liverpool and being in a title-winning type side because Liverpool need that sort of mentality of digging in and winning every single game. You've been in that, Paul. You know what it's like to get over the line. Do Liverpool, even when they're not playing well, seem to have this sort of characteristic, this mentality now that they can get all three points? They've definitely got that never-say-die spirit and they've got those individual players who can get them out of jail as well, namely Mane. He's the one, to be perfectly honest. Without Mane in that side, I think Liverpool will be a different entity. He's come out of the shadow now, Salah, and he's made himself the pinnacle in that front three for Liverpool. Firmino, I think, comes into that second spot and then it's followed by Salah because he's been a bit inconsistent. But for them to really understand it and have that bit, you have to win it. You have to win it to understand it. And in my first season at United, we failed because we just didn't have that bit at the end over the Easter period. We, we didn't understand it the following season. And after a hard physical pre-season and a verbal one from the manager as well reminding us that if it doesn't go in the right direction we'll be maybe kicking the ball somewhere else we suddenly got it in that 92-93 season the first Premier League season it did help though that we went out and brought ourselves a gold key in Eric Cantona. <laughs> They've got a few gold keys at, at Liverpool, aren't they? Uh, it might be difficult to unlock the door against uh, Sheffield United at Bramall Lane. I think it'll be a cracking game. It'll be a superb atmosphere and I can't wait to get there. It'll be my first visit to Bramall Lane in quite some while. Uh, let's move on to Everton against Manchester City at Goodison Park. It's our second game day offering uh, this weekend. Everton against Manchester City. It's live around the world on Premier League Live. We all remember that Tom Davis performance in the 4-0 crashing of Pep's team in uh, Goodison at 2017. But that is Everton's only victory in 12 matches against Manchester City. And despite that midweek win over Sheffield Wednesday, this is a team that do not need to see Raheem Sterling, the Silver Boys and Aguero coming over the horizon. Absolutely. It's, it's been a strange season for Everton. I saw them at Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago and they were absolutely dreadful in keeping with their away form, really, uh, as Marco Silva told me afterwards, it's not an, a new problem. It's been going on for a couple of seasons. Where they have been strong is at Goodison Park, but of course that even collapsed against Sheffield United. 
is this the game you want to bounce back? Probably not. And they've conceded at least two goals in each of their last five matches. But that kind of defensive record, as you say, when you're up against Aguero and Sterling, and how good was Kevin De Bruyne last weekend as well? It's really difficult to make a case for Everton. And I just wonder, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, how long has Marco Silva got? Because he's been given money to spend. They're expected to challenge for the top six, maybe even top four if some of those established clubs uh, continue to struggle. I just can't see it happening. There's no signs. Uh, the, the problem with that game against Sheffield United, and, and Chris Wilder sort of alluded to this, it was the most ridiculous game, he said, I've ever been involved in. It was our worst performance of the season. Everton were the better team in that match, yet Sheffield United ended up scoring two goals and taking all three points. They scored from their first corner of the game, and that's been a theme, isn't it? I mean, set pieces might well be the least of their problems against Manchester City, but they've conceded 20 goals from set pieces since the beginning of last season. They'd appeared to sort of get to grips with the zonal marking thing that Marco Silva was trying to do, but they they lost their assistant manager, João Pedro Sosa, uh, in the summer. And I think many of the Everton fans think that that is where it's gone south because they seem to be missing his defensive work on the training ground. But they've got to get to grips with that and get to grips with it fast, haven't they? Yeah, and it's amazing how the game has turned around now in, in the sense of how important the assistant manager is. And I could say when I was playing, the assistant manager was there as the person, the next person to go to. He was that lieutenant, the one who the man, who you related to as a player. You saw the manager as a bag, bag egg, you would talk to him and you'd get it all off your chest about the manager and he would pacify the situation and tell you what the manager's looking for. Now the tactical side of things and that good feel factor comes from those people in that, in that position and they're quite integral to every top side, to any side really, in how you go about your game. But I do look at Everton and I, I just wonder, they haven't got... It don't look like Sosa's going to score a lot of goals. That's just my opinion. There's nothing there to suggest that Everton can get to where they should be. And if you look at the three sides we all talked about at the end of the season, the start of the season, of competing to be inside that top six, maybe even threatening, being the shake-up for Champions League, and that was Watford, Wolves and Everton. I think Leicester City will also be in that uh, shake-up as well. And they're probably the ones at the moment that are more yeah. likely to, to manage it. And Everton play Manchester City this weekend, a team that were the fastest team ever to take a five-goal lead last week when they absolutely savaged Watford. Ben Foster said they're the best team he has ever played. It must be dizzying coming up against that. Who's key for Manchester City this week? I think the trouble Everton have got is that Manchester City are probably still a bit of a wounded animal following that surprise defeat uh, live on TalkSport against Norwich at Carrow Road. We wondered how they would respond to that and they responded emphatically. And what was impressive uh, was the ruthlessness with the way they went about their work. They weren't happy to settle for five or six. They kept pressing for more goals at one stage. I feared they would break Manchester United's record of 9-0 against Ipswich. <laughs> Thankfully, they did declare it 8. Uh, in terms of key players, I think Kevin De Bruyne is becoming their key man. He's obviously had a couple he's of seasons... He's always been their key man, yeah, hasn't he? he's had a couple of seasons where he's struggled with injury. He's fit now, he's firing. Everything goes through him. David Silva's been impressive as well mm. this season. He's in the veteran stage of his career, but he gets better and better. He's become a real leader, mm. and they need that now, obviously, with the situation where Vincent Company left at the end of last season. Uh, they need people who are going to dig in and stand up and be counted. David Silva is, is definitely doing that. Sterling's in great form. I mean, I mean, you, you can get the list is endless. Bernardo Silva. It's amazing what a new hair can do for you, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> David, David, do you any favours? David Silver's new barnet is, is unbelievable, isn't it? And, uh, and I, I wonder whether, like Samson, he's taken, he's drawn his power from that because uh, he seems to have come back to form. Paul, I wanted to ask you where you stood on the incident that happened uh, earlier in the week, where um, Bernardo Silva sent out a tweet which has been deemed by Kick It Out as offensive and racist. Benjamin Mendy was the subject of that tweet. Bernardo. Clearly, I don't think he's trying to offend his friend by sending out such a tweet. But is this, A, a sort of unconscious racism, do you think, that needs to be eradicated? Or B, overblown and misunderstood, which is the view of the manager, Pep Guardiola? Whatever I say, I'm going to be condemned for anyway, but I'd have to go along with what Pep says. When it's closed in, as I chatted about earlier upstairs before I come on air when it's between your friends and he sent it to him personally or even in a group one of friends, that's fine. 
No one knows anything about it. It's personal. And what it is between friends. But the moment you want to pull it out there and give them what's happening in the world today, you're opening it up to everybody. That's where it's gone completely wrong. And everyone's got an opinion. And to be honest, they should know better. Then You pull it out there and you pull it out there for everybody to come off the back of it and have an opinion about something that you think is okay because it's between you and a friend. It's not okay once you pull it outside of those barriers. And that's what he's gone and done. He's opened himself up to it. I think Pep is right in what he's saying. It wasn't meant. There was nothing racist. It wasn't a racist thing towards Mendy, anywhere near that. But the moment he, he put it out there, then... Millions and millions are going to deem it that way and you're not going to change their minds. It doesn't happen. It does not happen anymore. Whatever you send out there, straight away, hung, drawn and quartered. Well, of course, the the worst case scenario for... um Bernardo Silva is that he could end up with a six-match ban as a result of that that decision. I don't know whether it will happen before the, the weekend or not, but clearly that is something that Pep Guardiola is concerned about. OK, we'll get on to Manchester United and Arsenal in just a second. Uh, remember our game day coverage on Saturday on TalkSport. We've got three back-to-back live games across TalkSport and TalkSport 2, and all the games are available on Premier League Live. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Let's get to Wolves against Watford. Here's Tom Rennie. Not many would have predicted this clash between top 10 hopefuls would have been a bottom of the table encounter when the fixtures were announced. But disappointing starts see Wolves and the Hornets go into this one 19th and 20th respectively. No doubt that Europa League exertions have taken their toll on Wolves, as they always do for the team who start their season in July, and their small squad has struggled to keep pace. But the fighting spirit, as well as the pre-existing quality, is still there, as they show with their last gasp equaliser against Crystal Palace, having played the last 17 minutes with just 10 men. It was a result that manager Nuno Espirito Santo called a starting point for a Premier League recovery. Now time for a home win. Speaking of recovery, that's something Watford will need following their utter humbling at the hands of Manchester City. Anyone can get beaten by the champions, but the way Kike Sanchez-Flores' side were thrashed has led to plenty of concern. Wags have suggested that telling Watford to play against City like it was a cup final was not a good idea. The Hornets are unexpectedly but deservedly bottom of the table and must sort their defensive issues, becoming only the third team to concede 18 goals in their first six Premier League games of a season after Newcastle in 99 and Southampton in 2012. With a silver lining, both of those sides were not relegated in those seasons. Oh, how Watford could do with the inspiration of injured skipper Troy Deeney to end a run of games that has now seen them not win in the Premier League in 10. OK, let's look ahead to Manchester United and Arsenal who meet on Monday night at Old Trafford. And last week we had Nicole in the studio lamenting Arsenal's defending. 
that didn't get any better against Aston Villa last Sunday. But with Manchester United recent problems injury-wise and on the field, how does this end with Ollie feeling jolly, Paul? And why have you got your head in your hands before we even started? Uh, <laughs> I just think that happens every single time I hear the name Manchester United at this moment. I think, to be honest, when you look at what United have got available to at the moment, Arsenal could, could walk away with a clean sheet. Even though our bad Arsenal's defence is through the middle, it could go away with a clean sheet because United might not be able to put a glove on them, as we saw the way they were against West Ham. I wish I could come out with a positive at this moment in time. I really, really can't. And everyone's got an opinion about Manchester United because it's, it's what the club's all about. You don't have to be a football fan to have an opinion what's happened to Manchester United. But I can't even use the word. It's a pity to see it going like this at the moment in time. But... I'm concerned is that this could be maybe their m- most embarrassing Premier League season. So I think we have to say in the current climate, it's not going to be top six. Well, we have our Twitter takeover here where we get let a huge fan account set the agenda. Uh, and this week, United Extra at UTD Extra with an X in there, no E, on Twitter has provided us uh, points to ensure that our finger is on the pulse of the fans. Uh, so we should get to their points. I know we've got a lot to talk about here, uh, but... It, The first point is realistic January targets. There's no doubt that we need to improve the midfield and attack, uh, says uh, the tweeter. Could failing to replace Lukaku, though, cost Manchester United this season? Yes. We saw it on on Sunday, and if I was given the chance to ask Oli Gunnar Solskjaer more than one question as we were restricted to, as it wasn't our our commentary game. Jolly Oli, as he's now known. (laughs) Just grins away like he hasn't got a care in the world, but more of that later. But I would have asked him, with hindsight, Mason Greenwood has got tonsillitis and he's 17 years of age. Still hasn't scored a Premier League goal. We don't know if he's going to be the finished product or not. Rashford is injured and looks absolutely shattered mentally and physically for the first hour of that game. Have you made a mistake by not replacing Lukaku? I mean, they're drastically short up front. When, when you're Manchester United and you're finishing a game away from home with, with Jesse Lingard and then Daniel James up front, there's big problems there. And I feel sorry for Daniel James, actually, because he was the one player, I don't know if Paul agrees with this, that actually looked like he could make something happen. But it's asking an awful lot, again, from a player who was playing in the Championship with Swansea last season to suddenly be Manchester United's talisman. Just a sign, really, an emblem of just how dire things have got. And I agree with Paul. We're not looking at top six now. I tweeted the other day, they might be lucky to finish top nine. I think Bournemouth could finish above them. I think West Ham could finish above them. I think Leicester City can finish above them. Going back to where we're going, Daniel James was Manchester United's only threat. And that was his sheer pace. It was just pace and his movement. He was causing a problem. The issue was that the other nine outfield players weren't, weren't around. There was no one around to help him out. When we talk about Lukaku situation, I would turn around on the side of Oli and say... I think letting Lukaku go took a, a lot of pressure off the dressing room. So I don't think he made it into a very nice dressing room just by the way he conducted himself, the, the situation when he, when he went to another team and trained without asking permission, the bit about putting stuff out on Twitter. His whole manner wasn't right. But the problem was, I think, that it was taken out of Oli's hands and Lukaku was pushed away from the club because there's, there was a return on investment or some return in the way they went about it. Oli, I don't believe, was given the opportunity to bring another player in. Has he got too much power, Edward Wood? Yeah, of course he has. I mean, in the absence of the of the Glazer family, pretty much runs the club. And it's not a new problem now. This is going on for season after season. He has proved he is incompetent when it comes to the football side of the business. Yes, he's brilliant in selling advertising. They've released their latest profits this week. And I'm sure the Glazers are absolutely delighted. But therein lies the problem. Manchester United is no longer about winning trophies. It is about turning a profit, selling shirts, selling sponsorship. And until that changes, and I don't see that changing all the time, the Glazers uh, are in control of the club, uh, Woodward has got a job for life and it's only going to get worse on the pitch. I think the most damning indictment at the moment is that nobody in or outside the London Stadium was surprised that Manchester United were rolled over the weekend. In fact, we'd probably have been surprised if they hadn't lost. And the other damning indictment is where rival fans used to relish Manchester United's fall from grace. I think a lot of rival fans actually feel sorry for the club now because this great institution has turned into an absolute shambles. I think you might be overselling that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
in terms of um, going forward to Monday night's game though against Arsenal, we should focus on that because it is a huge game. It's been an iconic game. I mean, now it might be a battle for eighth and ninth, but um, maybe that's being facetious. But ultimately, these two teams are certainly not going to be fighting out the title this season. But still, when they come together, it will be an occasion, won't it? Without a doubt, it will be occasion. It'll be a good Monday night. Everyone's going to sit and watch it and see these two great clubs go to battle. But at this moment in time for this season, they're not deemed as great because both of them are well below par. But when you look at it, you look at the teams, you have to say to yourself, I think the onus is on Manchester United to try and get something out of it because Arsenal, once that ball gets in that top half of the pitch, (laughs) in the front half of the pitch, they are very, very good. Okay, moving on. Let's get to Tottenham against Southampton. It's a good little ball to Harry Kane and Kane crosses and that is number four, Lamella. And Redmond's picked it up after a mistake by Downing. He's run to the edge of the penalty area. He'll get his shot away and flies it past the diving McGilvery and finishes with a flourish. Four goals for Southampton in a derby victory of historic proportions. I'm disappointed because we didn't score again a League Two team. My disappointment is the disappointment of the team is that we didn't score um, during 90 minutes. That's the problem. He recycles the ball. Vestergaard is underneath it and scores. And Southampton are level. And Yannick Vestergaard scores for Southampton. Now, back in the late summer, I popped back in to present a programme for TalkSport, during which I had a discussion with Bruce Millington, the former editor of the Racing Post, in which he described me as going full Adrian Durham about Tottenham. What I'd said is, is that I didn't understand, with the new stadium, the new training ground, a place in the Champions League final, and a really good young squad, why everybody seemed to want to leave Spurs. Now, I got a hell of a lot of stick even from a guy who was a reporter or another broadcaster who has since had apologised. Because ultimately, despite the fact that the club at the time were trying to put out PR that that wasn't the case, it, it seems more and more likely that it was. Now, it was a point of exasperation on my point. It wasn't a stick to try and beat Tottenham with. I, I just didn't get it. I, I thought it was the place to be. I've been to that training ground. I've been inside that new stadium. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to, to, to ply your trade. I really like Pochettino as a bloke, but now he has repeated his claim in the aftermath of the midweek embarrassment against Colchester that the problem that he's got is that key members of his squad, a lot of those that I've mentioned, want away and are unsettled. Can someone tell me, A, why they want to leave and B, how the situation resolves itself, Paul? Only someone who's on the inside of it. I think we have to come out and say the most obvious thing is there's got to be a situation between the manager and the players that's the only that's the only way it can be because everything you've said there about it about the players who want to leave about the reasons why Spurs should not be in this situation the biggest one of all is they got to a Champions League final if you're gonna if you want some kind of foundation to build something off of you can't get better than a Champions League on a player's perspective Without a shadow of a doubt, they should have been able to drag anybody in. They had it all there to go and get, to go and maybe get them, put themselves in a position of actually being prepared to go and win the Champions League. They went, they got there the hard way, but they haven't moved on. You've worked with Potts. You've sort of spent a lot of time with him because as a South Coast reporter, he was at Southampton for a couple of years and done very, very well. He was well thought of there. But he does seem to be more agitated. I spoke to him last Saturday afternoon and I said to him, you seem more sort of, I don't know, disorientated and a little bit more sort of distracted, not as not as fiery as you were. Are you in a happy place? And he said to me, well, I, I can't really be happy because of what's happened over the course of the last couple of weeks. But ultimately, it didn't. He didn't seem to have the same fire in his belly. Uh, could you recognise those traits in him? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the one thing that you were always guaranteed from Pochettino in his pre and post match press conferences was that he would be bright, he would be bubbly. And actually, I spent a lot of time with him off camera, if you like. He used to give his press conferences then uh, in his native tongue through an interpreter. But once the cameras were off, we'd have a cup of tea at the training ground. We'd talk, we'd talk about the team and 
football in general, and he's great company, but you just don't see that this season. There's an undercurrent of frustration. How does he take his tea? Milk? One sugar? <laughs> I never made him a cup of tea, but oh. uh, yeah, I think he was a milkman. Uh, but but there, there's an undercurrent of frustration there. And it, again, it goes back further than just this season, because I remember speaking to him after they played at St. Mary's last season, and he said then, basically, maybe I've taken this team as far as I can. It was a big statement to make at the time. And if you look at their, their summer transfer business, and they haven't really strengthened. He doesn't do that, does he? I mean, the, the transfer business is down to one man and one man alone, isn't it? Yeah, but he'll be frustrated that, that he didn't get the players through the door he wanted. They're still reliant on Harry Kane to score the goals. They didn't replace Trippier, as Paul has already alluded to. And the upshot is they've won four of their last 17 matches. And again, it was a new low in midweek. The first time in 18 domestic cup ties against lower-ranked opponents that Pochettino has been on the losing side. It's not getting any better. And I think, actually, the frustration comes down to the fact that he's not been back to the transfer to market but also I think he had his heart set on a move to Manchester United I maintain that Solskjaer comes in wins 10-11 games he gets the job Poch is devastated because I think he really wanted that job uh, seven out of eight home games against Southampton though have ended in a Tottenham Hotspur win they're, they're their opponents this weekend would you expect them to beat Ralph Harsenhutl's team well after seeing them last night Southampton I have to say that I wouldn't be surprised if Southampton won might have got their mojo back because the way they played, they couldn't be any any more professional in the game, Southampton. Their discipline was right. They they passed the ball right. They didn't get involved in in or emotional in such a big game because I know that's a big game. When I get told by somebody that there was a big situation, they, they blocked all the roads of police when they were playing Southampton, all of a sudden Pompey fans jumped, went round by boat. That tells you how serious that game is or how much people want to get to that game and watch that game. In terms of Ralph Hassenhutl's team, he wasn't particularly happy with their first 25 minutes against Portsmouth in midweek because I think they just sort of suffered from the, that suffocating atmosphere that Paul was talking about. But they did manage to deal with that. They kept their call and eventually came through it. And as Paul was saying, they were ruthlessly professional. Danny Ings in particular getting off the mark with two goals in a South Coast derby, which will be delighted for him because he's a, a Winchester-born uh, boy and a Southampton fan as a kid. But do they take a big boost out of that? I think they do 100%. I think they'll come through mentally stronger for those first 20 minutes when it was hostile and the atmosphere did seem to affect them, but they really dug in. And, and to quote uh, Troy Dean, he showed some kahunas to come through that and that their class told with the quality of the finishes and, and the ruthless yeah. efficiency. And I said to both Danny Ings and Ralph afterwards, could this be a game that can ignite your season? Because it's been up and down. It, it, Ralph hasn't been overly enamoured with the performances, but I think maybe last night he stumbled upon a winning formula. I mean, Redmond will play. He didn't really stumble on it. He played a right back at right back and a left back at left back. I mean, it's not really stumbling over a formation. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Round pegs in round holes. It, it does help playing your best players in their best positions. That is for sure. But I think the team he'll send out of Tottenham will be similar I wonder if Alex McCarthy may even get the nodding goal after a couple of high-profile mistakes from Stop. Angus Gunn. You're victimising Angus Gunn. If you ever look at Alex Crook's social media, he gives him serious stick all the time. In fact, he actually got yourself in a row with Brian Gunn about it, didn't you? Yeah, he was defending his son, but Paul said earlier about defending the indefensible. I don't think you could defend Angus over that third Bournemouth goal. I think McCarthy might start. He played well last night. He kept a clean sheet. He was in control of that back line. But I think Southampton might go from strength to strength here. Danny Ings will take great confidence in them goals. Shea Adams still needs to find the back of the net, hasn't scored yet. But with Tottenham and, and their confidence being low after what happened against Colchester, if Southampton start the game right on the front foot, this could be another difficult afternoon for Pochettino. OK, uh, interesting point for you. Tottenham against Southampton will become only the second Premier League fixture to be played in five different stadia. Did you know that? What's the other one? Wow. <sighs> look, look at Paul Parker's face. He's, he's Leicester. Tottenham Leicester? No. Oh. Tottenham against West Ham, which was played at Wembley, White Hart Lane, the bowling ground, New London Stadium, and of course at the current Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So that's Let's the previous one. There yet, but that's going to be the third because you've got Filbert Street in the mix with that game as well. Okay, thanks very much for that. That wasn't the question. <laughs> uh, let's get to Crystal Palace against Norwich. Here's Tom Rennie again. The Crystal Palace home hoodoo. Can anyone out there explain it? Another chance last week for an easy three points in front of their vociferous support in their old-fashioned ground and Hotter's late equaliser for Wolves to quash that enthusiasm. 
after their thrashing at Tottenham. The Eagles were a lot more solid against Wolves, with Gary Cahill and Mamadou Sacco forming a formidable central pairing. However, that shift to solidity saw them lose much of the attacking flair that's made them such dangerous opponents under Roy Hodgson, who needs to find the right balance. How he could do with a striker of quality, with Christian Benteke again proving just how far he's fallen in another dismal showing, with Jordan Ayew's brief upturn in form not lasting long. And speaking of strikers in form, that leads us nicely to Norwich and their Finnish sensation, Temu Puki, who's been involved in 89% of Norwich's nine Premier League goals this season, six scored and two assists. He's also taken 36% of their 59 shots, both a league-high ratios for the campaign. But it doesn't matter if you have the hitman at the top, if you can't give him the ammunition, and the Canaries struggled at Burnley, just as they had away at West Ham previously. And it's hard for them to shut up shop as well and play for a point in these kind of games, because, well, it's not something Daniel Farker would do, I think we all know that, but also the defensive injuries continue to be added with inexplicable pace. Goalkeeper Tim Krull's calf, the latest to be hit by this macabre curse that could cost the Canaries come May. Commentator's curse uh, coming on the way before we leave you. Uh, let's get to our Dream Team section. Andrew Butler is here from Dream Team. Hello. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? Very good to see you. Um, let's uh, talk about Bournemouth against West Ham and Leicester against Newcastle. Uh, Bournemouth against West Ham. Bournemouth unbeaten in five matches against them. And there's always goals in this fixture. So is it just like forward heavy we're going here? Well, it's interesting because it's a top of the top top six clash, which I wouldn't have thought at this stage of the season you would call this game Bournemouth versus West Ham. Um, but the player I want to be looking at, aside from Callum Wilson, who's got thirty five points already this season in Dream Team, is doing really really well. Diego Rico's had a really good couple of weeks. He's got two assists in his last two games. Highest rated on um, WhoScored.com, which is where Dream Team get their stats from, and he's only one point three million in the game, which is an absolute bargain. He takes corners as well. Does doesn't take free kicks, Harry Wilson, when he's on the pitch. But Diego Rico is someone that I'm looking at this weekend to maybe carry on his good form. Andrew, anyone from West Ham that you've been keeping an eye on? Well, I mean, it is funny. I reckon there will be goals in this game, but Issa Diop's been really, really impressive this season and his stats are shown as well. On Dream Team, he's got 28 points, scored eight points this week and only selected by 0.7% of managers as well um, so far this season. Okay. But we were at the game, actually, a few of the guys from Dream Team went down to West Ham on the, on Sunday and we were all so impressed by um, Sebastian Alley as well. I think if he's, you know, if he's on form, he'll, he'll pick up a couple of goals it'll be an interesting battle between um well see who can score more between him and uh, and Callum Wilson this weekend I do expect there to be goals and he's been he's been brilliant actually since arriving at, at, at the Hammers and it might be I mean whisper it we're only in well we'll be on October soon enough but he might be the the player that West Ham actually have been looking for for all this time up front he might be and he does brilliantly to hold the ball up and uh, bring others into play but he hasn't scored too many goals as of yet and I wonder whether this weekend might be the weekend where that turns for him let's turn our attention to Leicester against Newcastle James Madison off the mark for his first Premier League goal he actually scored in this fixture which was an EFL Cup fixture earlier in the season from the uh, from a free kick actually um, what's his uh, value on Dream Team and is he someone that we might well be thinking about picking? Yeah completely 3.4 million his price has gone up a little bit since the start of the season but he's uh, Leicester's um, leading scorer on Dream Team so far this season with 35 points so he's been selected by 16% of managers so far which you know people are looking at him a bit more than uh, perhaps Southgate's looking at him but you know he, uh, he's been brilliant Ricardo Pereira is also a player that's been increasingly more selected as well by uh, Dream Team managers. Obviously, the defender, but he's in at 3.1 million in the game. 27 points so far this season, played brilliantly against Spurs. And uh, yeah, he's a player that everyone has got their eye on because I expect he'll do something against Newcastle as well this weekend. Goal scoring right back who gets up and and really helps out the team in an offensive uh, position. I mean, no disrespect, Paul, but can, can you believe these fullbacks <laughs> now? <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> you did, I remember you scored once from a cross at Reading, didn't you, in an FA Cup game? No, it, that wasn't a cross. <laughs> okay, I didn't actually choreograph my actual, my the bit after. I got that bit wrong. I looked surprised. But after that, our reaction was good. But I sold myself early, really, on that one. 
Um, let's talk about Newcastle United, who certainly haven't got anything in the final third, not very regularly anyway. We've talked about Newcastle and trying to find gems in their lineup, Andrew, over the course of the season. We haven't found any. I mean, we've, we've, we looked at Almiron. He is a good player, but he doesn't seem to have any end product. That is a real problem for him. I don't know whether or not it's just a big step up from the MLS into the Premier League, which has stopped him from scoring, or whether he's been played out of position, or whether he's just not getting the service and the team isn't set up for him. But it certainly isn't working for him. Is he working for him in any way, shape or form in terms of dream team points? No, not at all, is the, is the, is the simple answer. In fact, he, he did score, a, he got a 7-plus rating in, uh, in dream team last weekend, which means he picked up three points but his three points meant that he's got a grand total of two points overall because he actually got booked a couple of times or once um so he's he was on minus one before last weekend anyway so he's got two points over the course of the season so far and Almiron is actually someone that he's not actually got a goal or assist since arriving at Newcastle I had a look at this and it's 1,263 minutes of football that he's gone without um a goal or assist since arriving uh, in this country from from MLS so Definitely not one. Of, uh, there might. There's looks like he might actually even be dropped by Steve Bruce at this point. He looks lively, but that will only get you so far in football, won't it? You know, you, you need to be producing more than just running around, being quick, being tricky. Because if there's nothing at the end of it, like you say, Sam, you know, there's no point in in being on the pitch. Okay. Um, thank you very much to Andrew Butler from Dream Team. Uh, let's move on to Aston Villa against Burnley. Here's Tom Rennie. It's back-to-back home Claret and Blue derbies for Aston Villa. They'll just be hoping Burnley can keep 11 men on the field, with Dean Smith's side struggling to break down 10 in consecutive matches. Midfielder John McGinn called the villains' mentality into question last week as they crumbled against 10-man Arsenal, just as they so nearly had against West Ham the week before. Villa have dropped a league-high six points from winning positions in the Premier League this season, an issue that will need addressing soon if they want to avoid spending the season looking over their shoulder. Burnley's bruising strikers again came to the fore against Norwich last time out. This time Chris Wood, the man to find the back of the net. Ashley Barnes has taken much of the scoring responsibility in recent times, with last weekend's brace Wood's first since April. The Clarets are never particularly easy on the eye, but there are not many teams as effective as they proved against the Canaries. Back to basics, push up the field, win the physical battle, job done. Manager Sean Dyche, who became the fourth longest serving manager in Burnley's history last week, will be expecting more of the same this. Lampard's loss to Liverpool ended with a standing ovation at Stamford Bridge and a round of super Frankie Lampard from the Chelsea faithful. I'd argue that even in defeat, what he has done for this club in 12 weeks is absolutely remarkable. He's turned it into a a club, an institution which has never really been that close-knit, all blended on the same side, pulling in the same direction. Fans, board, players, staff, academy, to a unified force where everyone seems to be on the same page. And I think, I, I don't know if you agree, Paul, I'm, I'm quite surprised just about the, the amount of goodwill that's come his way, not only from Chelsea fans, but from outside as well. He's just, everyone liked him as a player and as a person. That was, that's what's made a difference. And we have to say, he's softened everything about Chelsea. Chelsea did have a situation where they were deemed quite unpopular, but I think Frank has kind of has added to what was happening to Chelsea and he's softened it now and everyone is looking at Chelsea as what they should be as a football club. But all that being said, he has to beat Brighton surely because they haven't won at home yet under him. No, and that, and that is a statistic that he will be keen to put right as soon as possible. I, I think there are comparisons here between the project at Chelsea and at Manchester United. They both appointed a club legend. They're both trying to put their faith in young players. But unlike United, under Lampard at Chelsea, you can see a direction. I tweeted on, on Sunday night, I don't think Chelsea lost much in defeat because they gave Liverpool a real scare in the second half. Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Tamori, uh, all players who come through the system have come into the team and giving their all and you can see it might not happen overnight but in the next months or or years they are going to become proper established Premier League players you can't necessarily say that about some of the youngsters at United I think they will beat Brighton Um, I watched Brighton Newcastle which has to be a contender for the worst game of the season so far on Saturday night if Brighton had a striker they'd won the game because Newcastle was so poor and again like Sheffield United against Liverpool 
I don't think that Brighton have got the firepower, even with Chelsea's weaknesses at the back, to, to really cause them problems. So I would expect Frank Lampard to go on and pick up his first win at Stamford Bridge. I think the future definitely looks bright. But as we were saying, they still need to win games during this season. And, and against the Brighton team, I suppose Frank will be hoping that Brighton are as adventurous in the way that they approach the match as they were when they went to Manchester City. I think he'd be hoping for that, but I'm quite sure that Brighton's manager would have learnt a little bit knowing not to go away from home and maybe go a little bit too big. Maybe he got overall by being next to Pep, which he never thought that was going to happen to him. Maybe there was a little bit of a loving and maybe just Pep kind of said to him, I love the way you play this and he got sucked in a little bit. I don't think he'd be psyched out by Frank on that situation, but Brighton are definitely a better team than what they were last season. I'm just going to, can I go back to just something that Alex said about young players? Everything's been mentioned about United young players and Chelsea. Chelsea were forced into a situation of using young players because of the ban. Manchester United, in a certain way, are being forced because they've had, a, say, situations with established players, experienced players. But it's more out of choice, though, isn't yeah. it? Well, not really. Be, not really, because I, f- I think certain players, he's had, to, he's had to go down a certain way with younger players. But Man United's young players are no way near as prepared as Chelsea players. These are seasoned players who have been out on loan. They've been through everything, the travelling, the emotions of being away from home, feeling unwanted because they've been away, from, been away from Chelsea. So they've come in now, these players, to prove a point. Manchester United are living off the back of 92 the fans are living off that. They're hoping that this is going to happen again. No one has told these people. That happens once every 70 years if you're lucky at a football club to come through with so many young players at one given time. Back to Brighton. What do you think about the style of play? How has it changed? And, and Graham Potter, is he sucked in by being in the Premier League? No, I wouldn't say that. I've been quite impressed with, with Graham Potter, to be honest. He conducts himself in in a good way. And he has tried to implement his style on the Brighton team. He's come in and changed the formation. He's had big Dan Byrne at times playing as a left wing back. I mean, it worked out, actually. They finished with a back four um, in one of their home games this season. A combined height of about 26 feet. They had four centre-backs. But all of them have proved capable they can play the ball out from the back, maybe with the exception of Shane Duffy, who is probably still trying to acclimatise to that. So he has tried to change the style, but he's still got the same problems that Chris Hewton had to an extent in that... If Glenn Murray doesn't score and he hasn't been firing this season, you, you do struggle to see where the goals are coming from. I think it's a shame they lost Trossard at an early stage of the season because he looked like he was a player who could work, weave a bit of magic and, and unlock defences. But they still need to find that successor to Glenn Murray because he can't go on forever. OK, it's time for the commentators cursed. Okay, we will provide a statistical analysis and a reason as to why a club, a player or a manager will definitely do well in this round of matches, only to put the commentator's curse on them. What's that? Well, it happens all the time behind the mic. You're 20 minutes into a game, a South Coast derby. Well, right now, Portsmouth are pinning Southampton into their own half. Southampton haven't had a shot on target. 21 minutes, 1-0 Southampton. Who are we putting the mockers on this week? Alex Crook. Well, I'm hoping to put the mockers on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. 16 goals in his last 16 matches across all competitions for Arsenal. He's also scored in each of their last four matches, uh, five goals in total in those four games. Of course, he's up against a Manchester United defence that is leakier than a burst water main, so surely he's only going to add to that tally. Uh, I've got extra special reason on the water theme to hope it doesn't happen because my wife, who's a massive Arsenal fan, is heavily pregnant. She is due to give birth at any time, and if they win at Old Trafford, it might just bring on the labour. Okay, well, there's a thought for you to take away, Paul. Fantastic. Um, But if you do have a a little boy, are you going to uh, name it uh, Marcus or Daniel or maybe James? Eric would be my preferred choice, but that's been vetoed. We'll come back to... uh, We'll come back... Not Parker. (laughs) Surprised by that. Um, Here's my one this week. Southampton have lost more Premier League matches against their former managers than any other club in the Premier League. 18 in total. That tells you, one, they've had a lot of managers. Two, uh, that those managers tend to use Southampton as a stepping stone in the Premier League. The third of those have all been Maurizio Pochettino, though, and he plays them this weekend. 
I just wonder whether or not that that statistic might turn this weekend. And bearing in mind, I've got form last week. I did point out that James Madison would score after having 28 shots on goal without scoring for Leicester City. And he did so to win the game against Tottenham. I just wonder whether or not, again, Southampton might cause Maurizio Pochettino a bit of an issue. Even a stop clock is right twice a day, Sam, so don't get too cocky. <laughs> um, Paul, who are you putting the mockers on? I'm going to put the mockers on David Silva who has won 199 of his 288 Premier League games to date. And he could become the 26th player to reach 200 wins in the competition. And he would be the fastest to do so as well if City win this game. But, can I ask you a question? Who is the current fastest player? To have won 200 games? Yes. I'd, I'd probably say Ryan Giggs. I'm going to say John Terry. It's no surprise, I should say, that Alex would go for a Manchester United player. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Alex, I just want to be like Sam. But I just, I just, everything. I think I've, I've caught on to what Sam's saying that you are a Manchester United fan. So, so you just worked it out. Yeah, I, I don't know how you've done it. <laughs> um, I'm going to come out and say this. Sam's right. Oh, get him. Come on, John Terry. Thank you very much. <laughs> is that another win for me? See, that's, that's a twice more than a stop clock. That'd Brilliant. Right. I wouldn't uh, Right. Thank you very much to Paul Parker and to Alex Crook. That's it from us, and we will see you next week. You can subscribe to this podcast via Acast, iTunes, Spotify, or Google, and leave us a rating. We'd love you for it. Thank you very much. See you soon. That was a game day Premier League preview show, a Talk Sport exclusive podcast. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.